Ladies and gentlemen, are you willing to get your facts checked and get ready to get your mind blown? This week episode may not be a giant leap for humankind, but it is for us. We are joined by author of over 300 scientific publications, numerous articles on physics and astronomy, 10 books, including the international bestseller, The Physics of Star Trek and The Universe from Nothing, the greatest story ever told so far. And only physicists to have received the major awards from all three US physics societies. Let me welcome Professor Lawrence Krauss to the ECOSOS Unscripted Podcast. Professor, are you ready to go genuine, uncensored and unscripted with us today? Uh, yes, I guess I am. Looking forward <laughs> to the discussion. I should say one correction. I now have 12 books out, but or 12. Yeah. I just finished my 12th book. I'm happy to say. Anyway, go on. Yeah, uh, I want to give you a heads up first, uh, because uh, our physics knowledge is basically powered by through the wormhole with Morgan Freeman, Big Bang Theory, TV show, Neil deGrasse, Discovery Science, and a little bit from an encyclopedia. Well, we'll try and correct your misconceptions if necessary. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, in your books, uh, you speak about the intellectual journey of the humankind, life formed on the planet Earth billions of years ago, and not by a limb of the creator, and uh, not with humans as the original species uh, on the tree of life, but with microbes and uh, single-celled uh, single uh, organisms. But let's go fast forward through an unending cycle of evolution and adaptation, uh, because uh, the first civilizations uh, were founded and eradicated uh, cities, nations, and we created gods, destroyed gods, but we were always in a search for more. We always, uh, we were always curious. And do you think that curiosity helped us be here today as a species? And what do you think, where could it lead us in the future? Well, I think curiosity is a central feature of, of being human, and it's one of the and it's one of the most positive features of being human. And we should encourage it instead of trying to discourage it, like like we are doing in so many ways in many countries throughout the world, unfortunately, and in schools often. Um, asking questions is really the key to knowledge and the key to human progress. And no questions are should be sacred. No, no, I no no. No issue should be sacred and not subject to question. I think uh, I think uh, the history of of our society and the development of science, which gives us a, the tools to ask questions in a way that result in in in, in answers that are not biased uh, in principle by our, own, our our desires, is a really a central part of 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 what should be the human experience. And that kind of basis of of uh, curiosity tempered by reality is really uh to me the 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 hallmark of of being human and the best part of both science and culture in fact science as a part of our culture uh, you, you mentioned uh, that's a very good point uh, and i agree with the curiosity uh, that it's essential to the human spirit but you mentioned uh, there that it could be tempered in school uh listen uh when we were learning physics in school or chemistry or mathematics uh, I remember most of us, we were learning, I believe, interesting stuff, but we weren't learning application of it or 
you know, the process of which this, these men, these great men created it and what it meant for the humankind. We just learn it uh, like uh, machines, like robots. Uh, do you think in, in our schooling system and in, in yours that should be taught more about uh, in some more interesting way, like real world applications? And uh, would that stir a little bit more interest in science, uh, in physics, in chemistry and similar? Well, look, I think it's important. I've often said that the greatest mistake any teacher makes is to assume their students are interested in what they have to say. And uh, and I think you have to try and go to where students are in order to get them interested. That might, often means using discussing real world applications. It sometimes means going to the most esoteric parts of of the universe to inspire students to deal with the questions that everyone has. How do we get here? And, you know, are we alone and that sort of thing? I think the real problem, though, is that we taught, science should not be taught as a, a set of facts because that's boring and irrelevant. Uh, you can get all the facts you need as well as all the distortions you want on your iPhone or any other kind of phone, but um, it should be taught as a process. What really is important about science is not the scientists or, or even the knowledge necessarily we've gained, but the process of science and the process of discovery, which should be part of the classroom. The asking questions, the searching for answers, the testing of ideas, the retesting of ideas, that's the real process. And more, most importantly, throwing out ideas that are wrong when they disagree with evidence. That's the process which you can teach by example over and over again in science classes, but also in history and everything else. And I think that's what, what a modern education needs to be about, because in order to be able to distinguish the, 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 the sense or nonsense on the internet, and in order to be interested enough to to be be a lifelong learner, which is really what's important, you have to be able to encourage to ask questions. I think what what I once realized in the middle of a discussion I was talking about was a, a movie I was in. It was a discussion afterwards, and it hit me about something that may be obvious to everyone else, but it really had never hit me adequately before. That when any student learns something, for them, it's the first time in the history of the world that it's been understood, right? Yeah. It's a discovery. And yeah. it should be treated as a discovery instead of, hey, we know this, let's memorize this. Help the students discover things for themselves because that, then they'll internalize that knowledge, but they'll also internalize that process of discovery. And I think that's what's most important. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, on my university, and I'm in the vast majority of the universities uh, in the world. Uh, you just uh, get a book, learn the book, and that's everything. You do not, uh, you, you do not get that inspiration from the professors uh, to, to venture out and discover the new things or read anything beside the, the, the oblig obligatory uh, books. So well, that's unfortunate, of course. And having obligatory books usually means... I remember my daughter used to like reading until she was in school and then <laughs> didn't want to read. Um, you know, it's reading is a joy and should be a joy. And, and, and um, I'm sad to hear that. I can't imagine it's true completely. I'm sure there are a number of great professors at your university. Yeah, yeah they are, but vast majority of them is like that. And is that, and the students as well. It's also the fault of us, the students, because if you want to uh, be in the science, in the economics, in physics, anything, do you think that can be the next generation of the people who can lead this world? Well, look, I think science does change the world and is an essential part of every... The world is based on science and technology, and it's a shame that, that 
that people are not only ignorant of it, but but the tools of science are becoming less and less used throughout our society. So I think I don't think scientists need to be the next generation of le political leaders. No, no. Because I think that basis of using reason based on empirical evidence should be a central part of all of our activities, and you don't have to be a scientist to do it. And and so what I think is that people who who behave like scientists are, 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 should are and should be the next leaders because they're 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 basing their policies on the real world. Uh, but I don't think scientists have a monopoly on that. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, but you, you wrote the book right on uh, uh, approaching the, for example, climate change uh, from the scientific point of view and not to, you use it for political reasons and things like that. You know, uh, do, how much do you think that use of subjects like climate change, like COVID, for example, uh, have, uh, you know, get us back from solving those uh, same issues, you know, like, uh, could we uh, we been more advanced in terms of climate change and closer to solving it if we weren't, you know, gathering every year on the UN and discussing it and not doing anything? Uh, well, I think I think the problem is that these important issues have become embroiled in politics. Now, they're political questions like the it's a, certainly a political issue about what to do about climate change and carbon and the generation of carbon dioxide. And that's important that political leaders and the public discuss that. It shouldn't be determined a, fia, uh, a priori by, or by fiat by scientists. But one of the reasons I wrote the, the physics of climate change the way I did is that when the minute you start, the minute you initiate things by saying we have to have these policies, ha at least half of the population turns their ears off and maybe more, no matter what policies you suggest. And so the, 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 the American politician, Daniel Patrick Moynihan once said, everyone's entitled to their own opinions, but not their own facts. And um, and I so I think it's really important at the very basis, before one has the political arguments, that we all agree on the, on the understanding of the facts and the underlying processes. And I wrote that book purposely not talking about policy because I knew from even colleagues and friends who, who, who didn't want, who would turn off if I did that. And who wanted to have a, a, a clear understanding of what the issues are, what's speculative, what isn't, what do we know well, that we can then use together to debate. And we could disagree on whether it's necessary to to stop using fossil fuels immediately or have electric cars or 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 whatever. Um, or you know, whether it's more important right now to improve the lot of citizens in the third world by having energy intensive uh, tools that help raise them from poverty. These are all issues we can discuss, but we can't discuss them rationally unless we have our basis in reality. And that's why I wrote the book the way I did it. Uh, well, listen, you know, uh, you as well, one of the uh, subjects that you were very active about uh, uh, was uh, religion and um, how religion, you know, worked through history and everything. And uh, me and Peter, we are both atheists as well. Uh, listen, I was always I I was always wondering because I had discussions with people who are religious, for example, uh, and my feeling, and I don't know if you get this or this is just me, I, I got a feeling that people who are religious, they usually look for uh, order, you know, they can't uh, uh, grasp the chaos of this whole place, so to speak, you know, uh, they're like looking for some, you know, 
unnatural being to you know guide them and uh, to simplify things well, for them is that i, the, I think the, it's simplistic to lump all religious people in a simple in a simple kind of framework right as you have religious just as scientists and atheists religious people come in all types and i think i know scientists who are who are fascinated by order and who are religious in that sense uh, i think i think a lot of it depends on upbringing and and environment and so I, I hesitate to say, oh, religious people are this way or that way. For one reason that's or another, many people are, many people, well, for one reason or another, many people are attracted to religion. And I think we have to understand that attraction as a natural human, um, a property of, of human evolutionary psychological development. But what we have to ask is, what facets of religious uh, belief are productive and which ones aren't? And... And to what it, what we can do to ensure that regardless of people's beliefs, that they don't let beliefs that confound reality impact on their actions. Um, my 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 friend Noam Chomsky has always said to me, he doesn't care what people think; it's what they do that counts. But the point is that what people think impacts on what they do. Oh, and um, and um, so I think that it's true. We all want to believe. I, I was on a debate in at, at Oxford University online of, uh, last year, I think, on the question, we're all religious. And I adopted the pro side of that argument. Several of my atheist colleagues were, were on the other side, and I think they didn't understand why I did that. But I think they were completely wrong. I think we are all religious by nature. Namely, we all want to believe things. And the wonderful thing about science, if, if we weren't religious, we wouldn't need science. What science does is gives us the tools to confront our own misconceptions and to confront our own desires to believe what we want to believe. And because we are we have that hardwired, we need tools like science to overcome it. So I think um, I think uh, uh, the 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 problem is that 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 religious beliefs um, need to be confronted by reality and that important decisions about how we should behave and how society should run itself cannot therefore be governed by religious belief alone because first of all as is clear there are thousands of religions and each one is inconsistent with the other and so we can't we can't we can't use anyone you know anytime we try and base our our policies on religious belief it's a certain religious belief there's no universal religious beliefs and i think that that um uh, we, we, that, that what we're really, what the real problem is, is dogmatism and ignorance. It's, and, um, as I say, there are people who are, you know, want to believe in God. And if they want to believe in God, that's fine. The question is, is, you know, does that get in the way of, 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 of the decision-making they make? And do they, and more, most importantly, and the thing I am against is using these ancient texts uh, as 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 if they're sacred documents that that when it's clear they're full of errors, mm -hmm. and so we have to dispense with that. I think for sure. Yeah, well, we have the funny situation here in Montenegro. I don't know if you know where Montenegro is. It's uh, in Mediterranean in the Europe, but yeah. we were the ex communism uh, as com ex-communist country you know and uh the the brother uh <laughs> snitched on brother to the marshal you know and 
we were uh, mostly atheists in nature. But uh, if a couple of years ago, there were the, the, the elections for the government and, you know, the, the church uh, uh, involved so much uh, in, the, in the politics. And we have become some kind of the Orthodox Jamahiria in the meantime. So, so and it's we, not unusual. It's happened in yeah. a lot of places, including in Russia. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, and, 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 and that's the part of the problem of legislating what people can and cannot do. When, you know, one of the problems w with the communist regimes is, is, is they made, you know, they basically outlawed religion. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, 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 I, and I think anytime you outlaw something, the minute it's no longer outlawed, it flourishes. And, and, yeah. and I don't think you can legislate what people think or what they believe or what they say. I think that's an error. I think you have to argue against it on the basis of rationality. And I think it is a real problem. You're right in several past communist regimes that are now being where religious authorities are being are either using the new freedom to impose religion or leaders are using religious authority to try and um, um, argue in favor of their policies. And it's a dangerous, dangerous route, in my opinion. Yeah. It's just... uh, yeah. Do you feel that uh, I heard about uh, America, you know, passing the about the abortion Roe versus Wade yeah. uh, case. Uh, how do you feel about that? Is that kind of... Well, a... it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a sad day, I think, in many ways. I think, and I was just writing about this. Uh, it, I don't think it's an accident that, six, uh, that the six justices who all argued that somehow a group of cells, a small group of cells has, has the same rights, or should have be considered to have the same rights as a as a thinking breathing acting woman all had a catholic upbringing oh yeah and the catholic church it has which has been you know has been wrong about so many things over its history not as if it hasn't been involved the good things but but the claim that you know uh, the moment of conception a soul is somehow infused in a in a cell is just has no evidence supporting it in the first place and secondly, distorts people's ability to make decisions about a, a zygote or an embryo being equivalent to a human being. And that, so I think that, I mean, one can argue, I think it's fair to argue about, you know, at what stage abortion should be considered yeah. unethical and, or illegal. But to argue that, 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 us can see, uh, that a, a fertilized cell is a human being it's just wrong. It's just scientifically wrong. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are short of time. I, I would like to discuss this for the whole episode, but uh, let's return to the scientific themes. You know, with time, the definition of life more philosophically than scientifically uh, has a potential to differentiate. It is an ability, is it an ability to be born, grow, reproduce and die, or is it a free will? And do you think are humans meant to cross this frontier between technological and biological? Well, that's a lot of questions there. Um, <laughs> uh, first of all, I just wrote about life in general in my new book, uh, The Known Unknowns, which will come out next year and maybe translated into who knows what. I hope. But, um, I hope it is. But uh, Life is very difficult to define in general. I mean, it, most of the most of the definitions fail in one way or another. But 
but uh, uh, you know clearly many aspects of metabolism and re and reproduction are essential, and 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 homeostatic uh, stable growth and evolution uh, are key features. I think um, I think the the um, what is true is that humans for one reason or another have a consciousness another subject i talk about in the book <laughs> and that has allowed us to develop not only just science but technologies and that the pace of technological development certainly is out is outpacing cultural the ability of cultures to adapt to that new technological development it's so fast it's hard for anyone to adapt and that's a challenge that societies have to face um, I think uh, when you say we're so, humans meant to adapt to combine technology and biology, I, I, I think nothing's meant to be, nothing is written. But I do think technology is, is it, 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 I think it's likely in the future. We all have adapted technology to our biology, whether it's using our iPhone to govern our daily activities or, 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 uh, um, or using a pacemaker to keep you alive, uh, I think, uh, or uh, some people like me have an artificial hip, it allows me to walk uh, normally. And, um, and that's a good thing. And I don't see it's such a danger. I don't see a terminator future in it just by amount, we will, I suspect, amalgamate more and more technology into our biology and vice versa. And I think that's inevitable, whether we like it or not. Yeah, uh, yeah we shouldn't be should we be afraid of the future whatever the future is well the future is scary but it's also wonderful and you can yeah. choose to be afraid of it or you can choose to embark enter the future with open eyes and uh, and and a brave heart um as i often have said in fact i think i use this sentence in in my book on on climate change i said the future is racing towards us like a freight train but it's doing so on tracks that we have built yeah so yeah, basically, you know, we whether we like it or not, future is gonna come, you know, and uh, well, for if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. You mentioned Terminator there. Uh, you know, uh, fan question. Uh, you know, what are your favorite sci-fi works? Do you have like uh, movies or maybe Arthur C. Clarke books? Of Asimov? I don't have. I've I've very few favorites in life. I like lots of things, and I and I like them, and I think of them as being good. But it's apples and oranges. I like science fiction books. I used to like them a lot. I read them when I was younger. I don't read them so much anymore because I find science more interesting. Mm -hmm. I used to, um, uh, uh, and people like Isaac Asimov and John Wyndham was a writer before you were born who wrote a lot of science fiction I liked. Um, but uh, uh, I, I like science fiction that, that, that has a good story. I don't think the science has to be great. Because if the sci, if especially if the story is really bad and it's and the science is ridiculous, I, you can't help but sus the whole point of science fiction is to suspend dif disbelief, right? You yeah. got to suspend disbelief. And so if something is so implausible that you, it just strikes out at you, then 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 the whole story is lost. And I wrote about it in Star Trek, and I've written about it in other places. Mm -hmm. So I guess I just think science. The most important thing about science fiction is the word fiction. The science is there to enhance the fiction if possible but the, the story is what matters not the science and so um yeah there's good science fiction and bad science fiction and you know and and uh i've when i see bad science fiction 
you know, like, like, uh, I give, you know, I, I don't want to give the list because people will hate the th some of the things I say. I don't care, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, I wrote, I said, you know, Interstellar was for me uh, just a silly movie in spite of the fact that my friend Kip Thorne did some aspects of it to make to make uh, black holes look re realistic. But the story and the fundamental science was just so ludicrous. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much. I've been trying to say to people that that movie is... I mean, and I don't know science, but that movie is like guy comes out of the book at the end. <laughs> yeah, and then and then I, and then when I said I found Dune tedious because it was just it was the story was boring, the characters were uninteresting, and oh boy, did it create a create a a, 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 a tire you know, storm on 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 Twitter when I said that. <laughs> well. You know how the Neil deGrasse man when he when he started analyzing the movies, fans just went raging. You know. Yeah, he he yeah, and and I you know I think and I know he suffers repercussions, but I think he's following a tradition that I actually I'm fair I think it's fair to say I established with the physics <laughs> of Star Trek, yeah. and uh, and I think people have since then have just continued that tradition. So I I view that um, um, repetition as a form of flattery, I guess. Yeah. Let me ask you this question then. What is your, what is the variation of time uh, travel in the movies that you love the most? Is it? Uh... Oh, 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 I think time travel is really one of my, if you've read my stuff, you realize it's one of my favorite subjects in yeah, movies because it always produces paradoxes. And, and I think, uh, I think those paradoxes are, are fascinating. Um, I mean, my favorite episodes of Star Trek all involve time travel and, but, but they all involve is what's really hysterical is that is that somehow we can't dissociate you know the past and present and future are different and we really don't know whether you know how they're intertwined in a sense in reality because we don't know if time travel is possible uh it's certainly travel possible into the future we do it every day the question is can you go backwards but um but always amazes me that when you see um uh, an episode where someone goes back in time and changes something suddenly at uh, something changes as if as if as if it hadn't always been that way because yep. if you've gone back in time it, right. and so you know it's there's always those those paradoxes and i think but i love even the original book the time machine by hg wells i i really found that you know provocative and fascinating but the real problem with time machines by the way which i think i mentioned somewhere is that they're also space machines, and that also never seems to get understood. And that in H.G. Wells's time machine, if he turned on the time machine and went a few ten thousand years into the future, he he and 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 he'd find himself out in empty space because, <laughs> you know, because the Earth is moving around the sun at thirty kilometers per second, and the sun is moving through the galaxy at two hundred kilometers per second, and and it's going in an orbit, and if you if you just if you just move forward in time but don't move forward in space you're gonna have a sad uh, sad conclusion <laughs> you're ruining it for us <laughs> sorry uh, that's why you know look the point is i don't want to ruin it I, it's fun <laughs> but but it's okay i still like it but but uh but just as long as the story's enough compelling enough to keep you going and forgetting about all that the stuff that doesn't work uh, then it's fun. And that's what I tried in the physics. Star Trek was very, very hard. I knew I didn't want to write a book saying this won't work. This <laughs> won't work. That's no fun for anyone. But, but uh, I think what I tried to do, and what for me is interesting, is to say when something doesn't work in Star Trek, it's related to something in the real universe that's actually more fascinating. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to talk about that. 
Uh, yeah, I feel you there because I, I, I for example, love uh, history. And uh, I always, later in my life right now, I always say, uh, I believe the real history is more fascinating than the historical fiction in some sense. Well, you know? I, I think so. In general, I love reading history. And uh, my next book will be history book, I think, in fact. But um, but I like, that's why I stopped reading science fiction to the most part, is I found the science much more fascinating to read. And I think the imagination of the universe far exceeds human imagination. So for me, uh, uh, what what the real universe surprised us with is beyond anything that any science fiction writer generally um, can come up with. So then let's talk about reality. Life is made of matter. And but what about the dark matter about which we know so little? And I think uh, you were among the popular articles for Nobel for the dark matter one. And uh, yeah, I've been working on dark matter for 40 years in one, yeah. in one way or another, part of my scientific career. Absolutely. I'm still involved in an experiment yeah. aimed to, to try and detect uh, dark matter here on Earth. And, and um, so um, um, uh, dark matter is, uh, you know, it, the thing about dark matter is it used to be even the most exotic thing around, but then it was replaced by dark energy, which I also had some really <laughs> But dark matter, we think, is quite reasonably some new form of elementary particle. And there's nothing that exotic about it because all of our ideas about the standard model of particle physics suggests that that new elementary particles are likely. And many of them have natural characteristics that would make them dark matter. It's just a matter of trying to find them and detect them and learn about them. And it's a long, hard process, but I suspect, I suspect it's likely that in this century we will we will know the nature of dark matter. Yeah, I, um, dark energy, however, is something that we don't understand at all, and I have no expectation that we'll understand it in this century. So is there any ground, any hypothesis or even a theory that life is in the dark matter? If I'm... Well, it, look, of course there are ideas. You allow people to speculate. You can speculate about anything. You can speculate about shadow universes, mm -hmm. which which have similar laws of physics and beings and everything else but they only interact with us by gravity and you know so it's easy to speculate when you especially when you can't test those speculations so i think those ideas are less likely uh given what i know about nature and 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 and, and our ideas about the standard model and beyond but it's not impossible i mean the great thing about what people don't realize is there's a lot we don't know about the universe mm -hmm. A lot. <laughs> but what they but what they what they forget is there's a lot we do know, oh, yeah. and and what we do know it, you know restricts what you know. So if something disagrees with the evidence that we already have, it doesn't matter any speculation to care about it. We just throw it out the window. So one's free to speculate at the edge of knowledge, um, but most of those speculations are likely to be wrong. Yeah. yeah. Well. We are reaching the end, and we have a little tradition this uh, here on the end of the episodes. We have a quote on our language, and we translate it, and something like that. And there's a quote by one of our previous rulers, Petar Drugi Petrić Njegov. And in our language is, uh, And on English, it's whoever at least a little stands on the hill, sees more than one beneath it. And I think we can associate that with uh, science, scientific views. Of course, look, I think the whole point is that, and science, fiction's prom, science fiction promulgates this, this fantasy, uh, but so does the media, that all scientific breakthroughs, that, you know, everyone, you know, it's the next Einstein and, 
and that <laughs> and, and and science science proceeds by baby steps by building on a firm firm pe pedestal a firm foundation and and most of science is very small baby steps every now and then there's a sudden change but but most of good science is built on on, on uh, by by just small incremental developments and using the knowledge and hard work of people before us who've worked on that and and basing our ideas on what they've discovered to be not false about the universe and i think it's important for people to realize that and that's one of my problems with say star trek where you know it's presented with a problem in three hours they always come up with a technological solution in the real world it's not so easy yeah. well at least thanks newton for ending the the, the witch hunt <laughs> Yeah, yes, we had, yeah, he, we think he ended the witch hunts. And he, he said, if I've seen further, it's only by standing in the soldiers of giants. Unfortunately, the way Newton meant it was an insult to one of his, one of his competitors who was a dwarf. But anyway, uh, that's the reason he was a wild man. Anyway. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Professor. This was a great interview. I hope you liked it as well. I and... really enjoyed it. It was really enjoyable. And I'm, I'm sorry I don't have more time today to... To continue it, but hopefully we can do something in the future. Yeah, well, yeah. our doors will remain open for you anytime. Okay, thank you, yeah. and let me know when it's made public, and I'll be happy to, to let people know. Of course, find it. Thank okay. you for this. Sure, to take care. Bye bye. We stay genuine, uncensored, and unscripted, and we always will, as we have to order our usual. Share us and subscribe us, and stay tuned until the next Wednesday. Iguzo.